Well, good morning again, church. Great to see you this morning. If you have a Bible with you, open up to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 today as we continue our series called Challenged Values. And Will already told you this, but man, what a great, awesome uh, chili cook-off and cornhole tournament we had. Uh, I just want to say thanks to everyone who planned and served and uh, just helped the whole thing run really smoothly. So uh, especially our staff, Kyle and Will and Jessica, they did a great job organizing everything. But um, thank you to all who served last night. Thank you for bringing chili. And uh, congrats to the winners. Hey, I mean, the, the chili, we have a new chili winner and a new cornhole winner. So congrats, everybody. Um, it, it wasn't me. The winner was not me. Uh, but I did make it to the final four, me and, me and Ben Clark, we did get to the final four. You know, I was thinking about this, and I'm, I'm going to make a proposal uh, that next year we have a contest that I think I can win. How about next year let's just have a chili eating contest, right? <laughs> just, let's just see who can eat the most chili, all right? And then we'll give you a free ride to the ER exactly after, after it's over, right? All right, well, it was a great time. Uh, it was really fun, so thank you guys for coming out last night. Well, hey, we're continuing our series called Challenged Values today. We are looking at our five core values here at Kernan that we hold to, and we call these, uh, our kind of our nickname for our core values are our guardrails. So we believe these are the guardrails on the lo- running along the side of the road in which we're traveling on, the vision, right, pursuing this vision that we believe God has given us to pursue. And so I preached our vision sermon uh, a few weeks ago. You can go on our website and check that out if you weren't here. But these guardrails, these core values, if we live according to these, we believe that we will stay on the right path. We will stay on the right road. And these will keep us from veering off too far right or too far left. They'll keep us centered on the truth of the word and Jesus Christ himself. And so specifically, In this series, we're looking at them from a little bit of a different angle. We're looking at how these values will be challenged in different ways. And so the point of this series is to really answer the question, how can we stay true to our values as a church in the face of challenges that may come our way from all different angles and perspectives? So today we're looking at our third core value, which says we pray frequently and specifically. And we get this right out of Philippians 4. Philippians 4 verses 4 through 7 uh, particularly. So look at these verses with me. You can see them on the screens as well. I want us to read these and then we'll pray and ask the Lord to help us understand this today. So the Apostle Paul's writing to the church in the ancient city of Philippi and here's what he says. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, we believe these words to be true, but there may be a part of us this morning that doesn't really think it to be true. Lord, there are parts of our hearts and minds that are struggling even now 
with anxiety, with anxiousness, with fear, with worry, with doubt. But Lord, your word says that the peace of God, that the world cannot understand, but your peace, Lord, is available and it's possible. Would you give us that peace today as we understand these scriptures? Help us to do that, Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, it's it's not uncommon or unusual for each of us, every single one of us, to struggle with different fears, with different anxieties throughout the course of our lives. The reality is we live in a broken world. Because of sin, and sin is the human departure from God's intention, His design, His goodness. Because of sin, we do live in a broken world, and we are broken people. That's the reality that we have to live with. So when things are not working in this world the way God intended the way he designed, of course, that is going to set the stage for all kinds of broken things happening around us, broken relationships, right? Our thought processes, the way we view the world, our perspectives themselves can be broken. And so, of course, we're going to have anxiety. We're going to have fear. We're going to have doubt. We're going to worry about all kinds of things. You know, when you think about the things that you worry about the most, when you think about what, what you get anxious about, we can, you can kind of categorize it in terms of your past, present, and future. And just for the sake of clarity, I think it's helpful for us to do that today. So if you think of your past, right, what, what makes you anxious when you think about your past? I mean, listen, for a lot of us, let's be real, it's, it's regret. There, there's a lot of us who have just really deep regret over our mistakes in the past, over perhaps past sins that we've committed. We can't seem to get past it. We can't seem to forgive ourselves. Maybe we believe God forgives us, or at least we say we do, but we don't really accept his forgiveness. Maybe there was a tragedy in your past, and it's been really hard. It's been very difficult to overcome some of the thoughts and the feelings you've had over the years. Maybe it was a broken relationship in your past, right? We can think of all kinds of things in our past that really make us worry and fearful and and anxious. But then, of course, think of the present, right? What do we worry about today? Like, what are you worried about right now? I mean, a lot of us, it's our health. A lot of us have a real true fear of death, and so we fear our health becoming more and more poor, right? Or maybe it's your appearance. So many people worry so much about the way they look physically, and they go to great lengths to just try to make themselves look not just presentable, I mean, that's some of us, right? But acceptable and approved of, approved of by everyone around them. Maybe it's money, Now, the funny thing about money is it's not really money that we're worried about. It's what money gets us that we're worried about, right? So we worry about how comfortable we really are in life. We worry about our lives being easy. We worry about the status, the status that we hold in the world compared to other people. We worry about our image, not just physical appearance, but just the whole persona. We worry about relationships. We ask ourselves, am I a good husband? Am I really a good wife? Am I a good father? Am I a good mother? Am I being loved the way that I think I should be loved? But then you think about your future. What do you worry about that hasn't even happened yet? And you you know, really, it's the same things, right? It's the same things I just named. It's just whether or not we are losing those things or gaining those things. So what is it for you? What are you worried about? I'm not talking about like, is it going to rain today? I left my umbrella at home. Not that kind of worry. But what's churning in your head at night when you lay down? What are you worried about the most? What are you worried about right now? If you search the scriptures on this topic, 
you'll find really that the Bible acknowledges two things to be true. One, this is real. Worry and anxiety are very real and natural to everyone. They come naturally to us. The Bible wouldn't address these topics as much as it does so much if this wasn't real. But number two, we don't have to be controlled. The Bible tells us we don't have to be controlled by this constant fear and worry and doubt. Real, true peace and real security is attainable and available for you. Now, I want to be very clear before I move any further. Today, today I am not talking about a clinical diagnosis of anxiety or depression. I am not speaking to that. But what I am talking about are the everyday things. Just the everyday worries, the everyday fears, our past, our present, and our future that really make us anxious and that can become controlling over us in many ways and really do rob us of our joy, which is still very serious, right? These fears, these anxieties are a problem for all of us to some degree. Listen, nobody's life out there is... (laughs) I know this is very pessimistic sounding, but nobody's life is as happy and as neatly put together as they want you to think, okay? <laughs> right, listen, no one, right, nobody, nobody's life is as nice and neat and fun and as exciting as they want you to think on Facebook and Instagram and Tic Tac or whatever the kids are doing these days. You know what I'm talking about, Right. No one's life is as neat as they want you to think, right? I mean, nobody posts pictures of them yelling at their kids at the zoo, right? That's, that's not the picture you see. It's the picture after they said, now you stand here and you smile and you act like you're having fun. We paid $30 for you to get in this place, right? So <laughs> no one's life, right? No one's life is, is just as neat and as happy as they try to make it think, make you think, right? No one's life, in other words is free of fears, anxieties, worries, troubles. But a lot of our anxiety comes from playing the comparison game. We compare ourselves to other people based on the perception they want us to see. And so we think, we tend to think that, oh, well, that person has it better than me. That person has a better job. They have a nicer house. They have, their kids seem to be more well-behaved. What's going on? What are they doing that I'm not doing? And what happens? We grow discontent. Oh, it's quick. It's quick, it's easy, and it happens all the time. We grow constantly just discontent with the lives we have. We think that other people are doing it better. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Jesus, Jesus Jesus did not come to earth to give up his life, to sacrifice himself For your sin and pay the penalty that you owe, he did not do this so that we would continue to live in an endless cycle of fear, in an endless cycle of worry and doubt and anxiousness. Now, again, like I've already said, we are naturally bent towards this. Worry and fear come naturally to us. That is our default mode as sinful humans. But that's all the more reason to fight it with the power of God that is available to you. So it's not a matter of if, if I'm going to experience worry and anxiety. It's a matter of when you do, when you do, how are you going to respond? 
So how can we find true joy? How can we find true freedom that God wants us to live in? Is there a way? Is there a way to not be driven by our worries and our fears? And I believe wholeheartedly that the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And one of the primary ways, if not the primary way, is through prayer. Frequent, specific prayer. So today I want us to look at why this is true and how this challenge against our core value really speaks to us, but what we can do about it. Specifically, three things in regard to our third core value, the reason, the manner, and the effect of praying frequently and specifically. So number one, let's talk about the reason. The reason we pray frequently and specifically is this, because God is with us and for us. In Philippians 4, if you look again at verses 4 and 5, look what Paul says. He starts this paragraph of his letter by saying, Rejoice! Rejoice in the Lord always. Again. Like he repeats it. He doubles down on it. He emphasizes it again. Again, I will say, rejoice. Why? Let your your reasonableness be known to everyone because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Now, this kind of means really two things. It means that it can mean that the Lord is is close and near to coming again, right? To returning. It also means that the Lord is close to us. Our God is not distant, right? He didn't create you and create the world and then just kind of back away and he's just watching from a safe distance, wondering if, are they going to figure this one out? Our God is not distant. He is with us, and he lives in his people. Psalm 46, verse 1, the psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A present help in trouble. Not distant, wondering what's going to happen, not unable to intervene and and help you. No, he is presently helping you in your trouble and then look at Romans 8, 31, what Paul says. He says, what then shall we say to these things? I mean, here's, here it is. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who, what could ever stand fully against us? And so that's why, right? That's why the Bible makes the case that you could lead up to Hebrews four sixteen, which says this, because these things are true, Because God is with us, he is for you. He's not distant. He's a very present help in your trouble. Let us then, the author of Hebrews says, let us then with confidence, not with trepidation or fear or anxiety or worry, but with confidence, what do we do? We draw near to the throne of the king of the universe. We draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why pray at all? Why even pray at all? What, what, does it just not do anything? Is it not any good? No, the question is why not? Why not pray? Look at what you're doing. You have unlimited, you have unlimited, unrestrained access to the king and the sustainer of the universe. Do you you ever think about that? Like, that's what's happening when you pray. In your car, 
at night, in your bed, with your kids, in the morning, in here, anywhere you are at all times when you pray, you are experiencing unlimited, unrestrained access to God. The one true and only God. You know, if you work for a large corporation, maybe, maybe you can try, if there's something that you're concerned about, you know, maybe you can try to set up a meeting with the CEO. But let's just say that you're pretty low on the ladder, all right? And the CEO has no idea that you even exist. So you send him or her an email, all right? So you send, you send them an email and, and you say, hey, I'd like to set up this meeting to talk to you about something. I mean, listen, if, right, if you even get that meeting, your time is going to be limited, right? When you walk in, the, in his or her office, right, that time is gonna be limited. It's gonna be hard for you to even be yourself, right? I mean, I, it would be hard for me, right? It'd be hard to be candid and just really brutally honest about the concerns you have, right? Are they gonna fire me if I'm too honest, right? And is he or she even really going to listen or care? Maybe, but maybe not. But think about the access, the unlimited unrestrained access that you have to the king of the universe as a child of God. You're not an employee. You're not a lowly servant. You are his beloved child in whom he is well pleased. He wants to meet with you. He asks to meet with you. How do you know How do you know this to be true? How do you know God is near? How do we know that he cares? 2 Corinthians 5.21 really encapsulates the whole picture of the gospel very very well. Paul says, for our sake, for our sake, he made him, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How do you know that God really cares about you? Because he sent his son to take your mess, to put himself in the center of our sin, our faults, our death penalty, to bear it on himself and in exchange give you something that you would never in a million years deserve, his record of righteousness. Because Jesus entered our darkness Because Jesus entered our fears, our worry, and took every bit of the root causes of your fears, your anxieties, and worries on himself, on the cross. Why did he do this? To give you access. To give you freedom. So you could live with God forever in perfect peace and joy. So why do we come to the Lord in prayer at any time and about everything? Because he's our loving father. He is your loving Father who wants to spend time with you, who wants to give you His blessing, who wants to shape you and mold you into the person, the person who He created you to be, no matter through what the circumstance is, right? Whether it's good or bad, hard, easy. He wants to walk with you through it. He wants you to love Him and trust Him above all things. So with this in mind, here's another important question. If that is the reason that we pray frequently and specifically, because God is with us, he's for us, he's right, he's here, right? We we just talk to him. Like I'm talking to you now, you can talk to God. 
But what is the manner? What is the manner in which we should approach God praying like this frequently and specifically? It brings us to number two. The manner is with joyful expectancy. Joyful expectancy. Look at verses 4 through 6 again of Philippians 4. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. So we don't approach God with uncertainty. We don't approach God wondering if he's going to hear us or if he's going to get things right. We approach him with a joyful expectancy, knowing who we're talking to, knowing and believing that he cannot and does not make mistakes. God cannot and does not make mistakes. Now, me and you, yeah, all the time. But not him. We must approach him in prayer with the highest level of trust we can possibly have. You know, look, there's a lot of things in our world today that that many of us, many of us just do not trust, right? So some of you do not trust the government. Some of you... Some of you do not trust airplanes, right? I mean, doors are coming off in midair, right? Some people don't trust a restaurant with a less than A rating. I'm with you on that one, right? If it's got to be, it ain't for me, right? It's just not doing it. There's lots of things that we just don't trust in this world. It's almost, it almost like, it's almost like it's cool these days to just not trust anything or anybody. But I, can I just try to convince you that you trust more things and more people than you even realize or you may want to admit. So for example, why are you sitting in the chair you're sitting in right now? Like, why are you sitting in a chair, right? I mean, did did any of you walk into this worship center today and start inspecting the chair and just making sure all the bolts were on right before you sat down in it? I don't know, maybe some of you, some of you are like that, but but I doubt it, right? Right? You have a pretty high level of trust that the manufacturer of these chairs, that you've, you don't know who that is, right? You have a high level of trust that the manufacturer got it right and probably a high level of trust that the church has taken care of these chairs over the years, right? That they won't fall apart. Also, for the record, I have to say, uh, Kernan Church is not held liable for anyone who falls. Just kidding. <laughs> These chairs are a little old, so. <laughs> now, how about this? How did you get here this morning? Did you drive in a car? If you did, right? If you drove in a car, you put a significant level of trust in your car, right? That it was going to get you here. Maybe your car's not doing great. I don't know, right? But you trusted also the guy in the lane next to you, right? That he's paying at least enough attention to not sideswipe you or run into you, right? And maybe your trust isn't very high in the people driving around you, but it's high enough for you to do it. It's high enough for you to be here today. The point is this. We trust normal, everyday things around us all the time without giving hardly any thought at all to any of these things. But for some reason, when it comes to something in our lives that we think God might have something to do with, why are we so often stricken with worry and fear and doubt? 
Now I know the risk of falling out of a chair is mostly trivial compared to some of life's very serious situations that we go through. I get that, but still, but still, if we don't think twice about trusting a chair or getting in our car, why do we question God and doubt Him so much as if He just doesn't know what He's doing? So why, why can we approach Him with joyful expectancy? Well, it kind of comes back to the first point, right? God is with us. He's with you and He's for you. He's not against you, He's for you. Because when you pray... Listen, when you pray, you're not, you're not coming before a politician. You're not coming before a football coach or a school teacher who is going to have to, to check on your request with lots of other people, right, before they can sign off on something you're asking for. That's not who you're approaching. You're approaching God. He answers to no one. He is the ultimate authority and standard of all right and truth. No, you are coming before the king of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things. And so it's like sometimes we forget that, isn't it? We just forget who we're talking to when we pray. You're not just talking to your buddy who can help you when he has the chance or the availability. No, you're talking to the, the one who, who made you and knows you better than you know yourself. Romans 8, 28, it's a famous verse that many of us know by heart, but Paul, Paul says this so beautifully and so truthfully. He says, and we know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. All things, all things work together for good. All things you see, you can approach a holy God. You can approach an all-sovereign, all-powerful, all-loving, all-righteous and true God knowing that even in the things that we worry about the most, He can work all of them together for good. It doesn't mean that they are good. We're not rejoicing in the problem. We're not rejoicing in the suffering. We're not rejoicing in the pain. No, we're rejoicing, Paul says, in the Lord who can work all of this together for his eternal good purposes where one day, a million years from now, you look back on what you had happening in your life right now and you say, I see now, I see now that even though I didn't know, even though I couldn't see, even though I could not even believe that he was doing something Ultimately, for good, for my good, and for his glory, I see it now. With that kind of perspective, with that kind of belief in Romans 8, 28, that, that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. His purpose. So again, coming back to Hebrews 4, right? What do we do? We draw near to him with confidence. Our prayer to him is not so much, hey God, let me inform you. Let me tell you all these things happening in my life that maybe you missed. Maybe you didn't get the notice that I'm struggling here. No, we don't come to the Lord as if He didn't know. He already knows. We come to Him falling on our knees in humility and in complete dependence and saying, Lord, I can't, but you can. 
And so we don't know sometimes exactly how the Lord is working things out for good, but we trust in a holy, sovereign, good, loving Father that He is, that He always is. And so we draw near the Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says, with confidence. The level of confidence you should have as you pray to God should far outweigh the level of confidence that you have in anything else in this world. Anything else. It's a joyful confidence. Paul says to pray with thanksgiving, right? And that doesn't mean that you're pretending to be happy about a bad circumstance in your life. Let me say that. Let me say that again. I 100%. I know and I believe that it doesn't mean that we just walk around pretending to be happy about a very serious circumstance that we're going through. But Paul says, no, he says, don't, don't be happy about the trouble, be happy about the Lord. About who's in control of the trouble ultimately, he says, pray with thanksgiving. That doesn't mean, right, that we're happy about the bad circumstance, but it does mean that because of what Jesus has already done for you, that there is, a, there is a bedrock of joyful confidence in your heart because you know in the end, in the end, which is really just the beginning, God will make all things right and true. Everything sad will become untrue. So we don't pray. We don't pray frequently and specifically with a spirit of fear or doubt, but with a spirit of gratitude and thankfulness knowing God has already given you all you need in Christ and will he will supply all you need on this earth to accomplish his will maybe not maybe not to accomplish all of your dreams and aspirations but he will give you what you need to accomplish his will and purpose for your life however many days he gives you he'll give you what you need so we pray We pray frequently. That means we pray with consistent rhythms and patterns in our life. Consistent rhythms and patterns of your daily routine, your weekly routine. And we pray specifically. In other words, nothing's off limits. Nothing is off limits because God already knows, he cares, and he wants you to come to him in complete dependence and need to express to to him the trust you have. Jerry Bridges, a a great Christian author, wrote in his famous book, Trusting God. He says, God's sovereignty, along with his wisdom and love, is the foundation of our trust in him, and therefore prayer is the expression of that trust. Prayer is an act of worship. It really is. When, When you come before God, And you're expressing that you trust him, even though you do not know what's happening around you and your earth and your ground is shaking around you. You're saying, Lord, I trust you. And he he receives that as worship, which is what we were designed and created to do in the first place. It's really a beautiful thing. So we approach our heavenly father with joyful expectancy, knowing that even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't answer our prayer the way we would answer it. We can trust our loving God that he is going to get it right and he wants us to come to him in that full expression of trust and dependence. When we pray, when we do pray like that, 
Here's the effect. Number three, the effect is peace. Peace and security. Look at verse 7, one last time, Philippians 4. Paul says, after telling us to pray with thanksgiving, to not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. He says, and the peace, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you feel like your heart is not guarded today? Do you feel like your mind is just a little unguarded? You see, the result of rejoicing in the Lord through prayer is the peace of God. And that's different than the world's understanding and definition of peace, right? You see, the world's understanding, that's why Paul says this surpasses all worldly understanding. Because the worldly understanding or definition of peace could be something like, well, you just need to gather all the facts You need to exhaust yourself knowing every possible route or angle to take with this situation. And you just need to to figure it out. You got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and figure it out. And and, and once you have this better understanding and you educate yourself better and you do the right proper research and you get the proper help, and once you do all these things, which can be helpful, sure, but ultimately there's just no sense of a reliance on God. It's all self-reliance. So the world's understanding of the way to achieve peace, Paul says, it's just not going to happen. But the peace of God, the peace of God is not naive. It's not irrational. It's solid. Because it's not resting on yourself. It's not looking internally. It's looking outside of yourself for the rock, the rock of your foundation. This peace that Paul speaks of, the peace of God, will guard, he says. It'll guard your heart and it'll guard your mind. In other words, it'll guard your affections. It's like forming a safeguard around your heart where our hearts are so easily tempted to give themselves to to something, right? To, To just try to attach happiness to some person or some thing or some career or something, right? Our our hearts are are just so unguarded and we just give ourselves, we give our affections, we give our love to all these things around us, hoping that they will deliver, that they will give us what we've always wanted and that will be the peace. But Paul says no. No, praying frequently and specifically, admitting that you are not self-reliant, coming to the Lord and admitting full expression of trust and dependence on Him Paul says, no, that is where peace really comes because the Lord will safeguard your heart and your affections and he will safeguard your thoughts and your mind against the temptation to succumb to chasing our idols, which always just has a cyclical effect. It just always brings us back to worry, always brings us back to fear, always brings us back to anxiousness because they never deliver. They never deliver. No, the peace of God delivers the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeing your identity and who you are as a child of God, knowing that you are more loved and accepted than you could ever dream. Knowing that the creator of the universe knows your name, he knitted you together in your mother's womb and he loves you forever. Knowing that you have his security, you have a future that is secure forever with him. Knowing that you will one day live in the new heaven and the new earth where everything is made right and all sad things have become untrue. 
where all things have been redeemed and our people, people are living together in perfect peace. Knowing that you have that, that you are an heir and a brother to Jesus Christ who will inherit these things. No, you, you will inherit these things alongside Christ, knowing that you have that. Do you see it now? What else in the world could possibly deliver that? No, God's peace is the only lasting, real, forever peace. But you're not going to find it. You're not going to find it if you don't pray. The peace and security we're all looking for, it's not rooted in a belief that God is going to do for you exactly what you think he should do. It's not rooted in anything outside of yourself other than God. This peace and security is simply rooted in the truth that God works all things together for good. That's why this surpasses. That's why this surpasses all worldly understanding. This surpasses all worldly understanding of life because prayer is really It's really an aligning of our hearts with God. That's what it is. And so let me tell you, you're going to go through things that confuse you, and you're going to go through things that just do not make sense, and you will wonder, what is God doing? Why is he letting me go through this? And you may never find out the answer this side of heaven. But does that mean that God has given up on you? Does that mean that he is trying to play some cruel game with you and trick you? No, it does not. Just a couple of days ago, January 27th made 10 years. It was the 10-year anniversary that Christy and I found out that our first daughter was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And she lived with leukemia for about just over a year. She passed away February 2015. And there were days where, specifically, you know, 10 years ago, just a couple days ago, when I found out the diagnosis, I mean, just to be candid with you, I was driving home to get some clothes while Christy stayed with her at the hospital. And when I found out the diagnosis, I was driving home, and I was kind of yelling at God 10 years ago. I was a pastor already at the time. And I completely lost it. But let me tell you something. I didn't know what I was doing then. I didn't know what God was doing then. And can I just be honest with you? I still don't know why she was diagnosed. And I don't know why God allowed her to pass away and he called her home. But what I do know is that one day, if he lets me know in heaven... I'll be happy with that. But you know what? I can tell you this. I know that she's okay. I know that he is good. And he works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do we still struggle with doubt and fear and worry? Absolutely. But I know that our trust in this life is not built on our circumstances as hard as they are as difficult as they are to understand, we know that God, that God works all things together for good. And that one day, 
not that long from now, we'll all be together in heaven rejoicing and living in the peace and security that only he could ever bring. So what is it for you? What are you worried about right now? What are you worried about the most? What are you struggling with right now? It could be something really serious. It could be cancer. It could be a disease. It could be a loss of a job. It could be a loss of a loved one. What is it, though, that keeps you up? What is the worry and the fear that is driving you and controlling you, and why? Is it because you have to have the answers? Is it because you have to know everything? Is it because you have to be in control? But at what point are you going to let go and say, Lord, I just trust you, and I know that even though this makes no sense to me, I know you are good, and you love me, and so I know I'm going to be okay. Can you say that today? Like, what's your level of trust? What is it really? What is your level of trust in the God who loves you and knows you and desires to be with you forever? What is your level of trust in him? I think prayer is the answer. I think we have to turn to the Lord and pray frequently and specifically. When you don't feel like praying, you know what you should do? You should pray. Don't wait until you feel like it. Just press through it. And I mean, I'm serious. Like you don't have to make it all emotional. Just pray. Talk to God, even if you don't feel like it. I want to give you just a couple of good practical suggestions for improving your prayer life. Uh, really just one. But ground, ground your prayers in the Word of God. Ground your prayers in the Scriptures. All right? And so I, want to, I just want to share real quick two resources with you on the screen. You'll see the pictures. Um, there's two devotional books that have been greatly influential in my life and have helped me a lot with uh, praying and learning how to pray better. So the first one is Tim Keller's Songs of Jesus. The Psalms, the, the Psalms in the Bible are so good. They are prayers. Most of them are prayers themselves. And, and just letting the Psalms speak for you to God, like reciting the Psalms back to God, is an incredible way to improve your prayer life because David and others struggled big time with worry, anxiety, fear, doubts. I mean, it's just there. It is candid, it is raw, it is real. So if you ever wonder, like the Bible doesn't paint this glossy picture that like, oh, we're all supposed to be happy. No, the, the real burdens of a person's soul are expressed in the Psalms. So this devotional walks you through all of the Psalms and it has a little blurb about each psalm, and then it has a prayer. So you actually pray the prayer in there, and it can really help you. So I highly encourage this one. Another good one is uh, J.D. Greer's Gospel Devotional. So it's a 90-day devotional. It's not through a certain set of Scripture, so it uses different Scriptures. But what I really love about this one is he has a prayer that he teaches you to pray. That He says he prays the same prayer every day, and it's just it really focuses your mind and your heart on your identity and the gospel and who Christ is. It is excellent. I've given this away to several of you uh, already, just you know who I've met with and tried to encourage. Um, but this is a great, great resource as well. So either of those, you can't go wrong with either of those uh, prayer resources. But if you're looking for a way to improve your prayer life, and, the, and you're just being honest and saying, you know what? I do feel like my prayer life is a little dry right now. I just don't know what to say to God sometimes. I don't know if I'm doing it right. I don't know how to pray. Please pick up one or both uh, of these resources. In addition to that, if, if you would like to talk with one of us today about not just your prayer life, but whatever the Lord is going 
through with you right now, right? Whatever he's teaching you, whatever he's leading you to, to, to do or believe, uh, we'd love to have that chat with you. Our Next Steps team, uh, they are fully equipped to help you and guide you through some of these things. And so they'll be out there in the lobby waiting to talk to you. I'll be out there as well in the cafe. Uh, so we would love to connect with you if you have any questions or thoughts about what, what it means to take that next step for you. Um, in your pursuit of Jesus. So we love you guys. Kyle's going to come out and lead us in a closing song. But before he does that, why don't we pray now? And let's just be honest. Be honest with the Lord right now about your prayer life, right? What are you worried about? What are you fearful about? Confess that to God. He already knows, right? But express your trust. Express your dependence on him and ask him to improve your prayer life so that we truly can pray frequently and specifically about everything that happens in our lives to him. Would you pray with me now? Lord, we thank you for allowing us to just even be here today. Um, God, we thank you for the gift of life, and we know that you are in control of all things. So Lord, we pray that you would just instill in our hearts a high, the highest level of trust possible for us to muster up. Lord, give us the highest level of trust as we approach you in prayer. Lord, you are for us, you are with us. Lord, we can truly approach you with joyful expectancy because we know that in the end, the peace of God surpasses all understanding. Lord, we may never understand, we may never have the answers to difficult situations on this side of eternity, but Lord, we know that in the end, everything will be made right. Everything. Everything and every heart and every person who trusts in your name for salvation will be made right. Lord, that is good news. That is great news for us today. Lord, would you be comfort? Would you be the great comfort to those who are struggling this morning? Lord, our problems are real. Our difficulties are real, but Lord, would you be the great comfort we need? Give us that peace. Give us the peace of God to every person in this room. Lord, deliver that peace to their hearts right now. And let them know that they are going to be okay. And one day they'll be more than fine. They'll be perfect with you forever. So Lord, we look forward to that day with joyful expectancy. Let us approach you every time we pray knowing these things to be true. Lord, help us guard our hearts and guard our minds. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.